Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. You know, on a day like today when it's cold and the snow's blowing around and some of you are not sure that you want to bless God for putting you in Colorado and, and you're pretty sure you don't want to live in California, but there has to be a place that would have 72 degrees year-round without bugs. No, yeah, I don't like bugs. I just don't don't like. I, I'm not. I'm not real good at sharing with humans, and I'm certainly not going to share with bugs. So, uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. But one of the things that God led us to many years ago, um, we seem to be on the <clears throat> on the front end of of some of the things that that you know churches do. And so years ago, we spent way, way more money than we probably needed to if we'd have just hung on for another year why the price of the camera that we bought would have gone down and all those kinds of things. But we've always been on the, on the front end of that. And, and so it's enabled us to ask questions and to do some things um, with how we, we do our church services. And uh, so I didn't look today, but over the last month or so, um, we've had upwards of, of 30 states um, that have had regular connections with us in four foreign countries and hundreds of connections. And so people are, are coming on and connecting and, and watching. I assume they're receiving prayer and, and whatever else that, that, that they would need. And, and so anyway, um, I just say that to you to say when you're sitting next to an empty chair on a snow day, don't worry. There are a lot of people out there who are just receiving what God has. And uh, so, how much? 20. 20 people watching right now. There we go. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, half of them are watching on a big device. Half of them are watching on their phone, if their statistics are, are, are correct. And so, we, we, <clears throat> we love them. We, we say that they're a part of us, but because we're a part of the body of Christ, they're a part of the body of Christ if they believe in Jesus. Just been an interesting thing. And you say, well, how do we, how do we help them? We already are. We're, we're offering what we offer. And, and well, shouldn't we, you know, I don't know. If you have a great idea, why well, go bend Jeremy's ear about it. And then he'll try, come and try and convince me that, that uh, we should do this. Because I'm the curmudgeon Imagine old man in the staff this time, so praise the Lord. All right, open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We've been talking for several weeks about the perception, illusion, and deception of control. I'm going to touch back on, on those four things here in just a, a moment, but, but I want you to understand that we're really getting to the place in this series that I hope that it'll all come together and you go, oh, okay, that's why he's been so much, you know, swerving towards all of this, um, is, is because it leads us to something. It leads us to something that we touched on last week that we're going to touch on even more significantly this week. And so if you can find Hebrews chapter 11, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and for this time. We bless you, Lord God. Because your word is just working so mightily in our lives. We thank you, Lord God, that you're making a difference in our lives. That we're changed, Father. We also thank you, Father, that in the midst of difficult times, we submit ourselves to you. And we say, Lord, have your way in us. Have your way in me. In Jesus' name, amen. 
so the crux of this series of messages is about how that as humans, we love to be in control. We love the feeling of control where we've done everything that we need to do and therefore all is well. And so we've entitled this series, The Perception, Illusion and Deception of Control. Perception is just how you see things. And so we looked at that early on about how we just regard or understand or interpret what's happening. It's our perspective. And, and it becomes that perception, literally how we see things. And you may recognize that how you see things doesn't have to line up with how things are. You can see things how you choose to see things. They don't have to line up with reality necessarily. We talked about the illusion, and, and you know what? The Charismatic Church has been big on this one because we've basically taught that if you do everything just right, that nothing bad happens. And many of you have had the experience where you thought you did everything just right, and everything didn't go as well as you thought it would. In fact, your desire to have everything go well, which produced in you a desire to pray and to work and to do all these things, didn't actually produce perfect results. Because you see, your desire and God's desire for you might have been different. And that's the control issue I'm talking about. It's not really about controlling circumstances, although it is. We really, at times, want to control God. We'd like God to notice the Scriptures that we've put up on our mirror or that we carry in our purse or our pocket. And we'd like him to function. In fact, in sometimes when things don't go right, we actually say to God, but your word says. And what happens in all of that is that there's this level of deception, this act that comes inside of that, of causing someone to accept as true or as valid something that is false or invalid. People of God, God loves you without respect to what you do. You can't do enough to ratchet up the love quotient that God has for you. The Bible says clearly He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can't run fast enough to get away from God. Now, you say, well, that's great. Yeah, well, okay. So if He's pursuing you so hard, go ahead and let Him control or literally you submit to him and his desires for your life. And you say, well, but if I do that, I'm going to go through. Yeah, you're going to go through stuff anyway. You're just going to go through some stuff. And so we talked about that last week. We talked about adversity uh, two weeks ago and, and this outcome dependence where we actually believe that our life will be more secure if this, this and this will happen. And our life isn't more, conser- isn't more secure because something that we wanted to have happen, happened. That's part of the deception of control. Then we learned last week about adversity. And we saw in Paul's life how he was in prison. And I'll, I'll never get my mind, well, I shouldn't say it that way, probably. It's hard for me to get my mind around how he can write this letter about how he thinks and what's going to happen while he's in jail, while he's likely being persecuted, while he's likely being in the most difficult circumstances. And he says in verse number 19, he says, I know that this will turn out to my deliverance. I don't know how he knows that unless he learned how to trust. 
unless he learned how to trust. Adversity can lead us to trust. Now here's a great opportunity. You don't have to have adversity to trust, but if you don't have trust, oftentimes adversity will help you with it. Right? You'll, you'll end up in a position where things are just, you know, off step a little bit. You go, what's this? I wasn't believing for this. And I, I actually thought this would never happen to me. And, and then God kind of shows up on the scene and says to you, just trust me in this. Because we can't always see what God's doing. But he's doing, right? And so in Hebrews chapter 11, I love the story of Moses. <clears throat> and really, I'm just going to give you this scripture and one more passage for today. Because I really want you to get this understanding that there is a voice of trust. In the midst of adversity, last week you got adversity and trust. Today I hope what you hear is that trust has a voice. And it sounds different when it comes out of your mouth. Notice it says in verse 23 of Hebrews 11, I don't know if I told you, you have 24, let's start there, that's good. Unless you moved it. Nope, that's good. It says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age. Now notice, when Moses came of age, when he became responsible for his own actions. That's, that's, how, that's what this is. When Moses became responsible for his actions, notice what he did. The Bible says, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When he became responsible for how he approached life, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather. Now notice, when he became responsible, he made a choice. Inside of that choice were some options that looks like he made the wrong choice. If you have an opportunity to be associated with a group of persecuted people or to live in the king's house, which one do you choose? I mean, he had the king's house. He was Pharaoh's daughter. I'm telling you what, stuff was going to go well for him in the world's picture. He had the, the whole world under his feet because he was or could have been called Pharaoh's grandson. Choosing rather to suffer affliction or adversity with the people of God. Notice the first thing that he did in choosing was to affiliate himself with the people of God. But ask yourself this question. How did he know who the people of God were? <laughs> they floated him, come on. They floated him down the river in a wicker basket when he was three months old. Where does he get this information? Somebody was feeding it to him probably when his mother floated him down the river, Pharaoh's daughter caught him. She essentially hired Moses' mother to nurse this baby. And guess what the mom is doing? She's speaking into Moses. Now you say, well, that doesn't... No, see, a lot of times they didn't wean until, you know, three, four years old. So... It, a little different than now, and, and she's there talking and that kind of stuff, and then somebody has to become his governess, probably this same woman who's speaking to him behind the scenes. And when he has an opportunity to take responsibility for himself, he chooses what his mom had said to him. 
Now, the reason I'm making such a big deal out of this is maybe as a parent, you've had this opportunity where you spoke into your kids and spoke into your kids and spoke into your kids. And then when they got out on their own, they made their own decisions, which weren't quite what you would have made. Don't ever give up on what you've put in them. Because that's what trust does. Trust connects to what's in them. And you'll hear it. You'll hear it come out of their, you'll hear it come out of their mouth. Because trust has a voice. Trust has a voice. Look what else he says. He says, suffer with the people of God, then enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, first of all, how did he know that it was a passing pleasure of sin? Somebody had to tell him that. He could figure out that it was pleasurable. But somebody had to tell him this is going to go away. Right? This is not going to last forever. Somehow, through whatever was put in him, by faith, when it came time to him for him to make a decision... He made a decision that spoke an awful lot like trust. Esteeming, verse 26 says, the reproach of Christ. Now again, Moses did this in the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews is writing about him 3,500 years later through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He didn't have Christ yet, but the writer says that he made a decision to essentially elevate the position of Jesus Christ over the position of the treasures. And by the way, Egypt had some treasures over the treasures of Egypt. He valued them. For he looked, I love this, he looked to the reward. You ever tried to convince your kids to go help somebody and then say to them, now, when you're done, don't hold your hand out like you're, you know, you just want them to learn how to serve people. I understand our teenagers, oh, oh Chad's out counting the money. Who was in that group yesterday? Who went out and scooped? No? Oh, a couple of weeks ago, I, he told me it's still fresh in his mind. So here's a couple of guys, right? They went out there and just snuck around and scooped people's, right? You're scooping people's driveways, trying not to get caught at it. They didn't have their hand out. What were they? They may not even know what they were being taught. I mean, as teenagers, an extra 20 bucks would have been handy, right? Wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have turned down the 20 bucks. Just fold that up. Had some, my grandpa used to ask me that all the time. He'd say, he, he'd say, you got any folding money? I knew what that meant. That meant grandpa. Now, 1965, okay? When a dollar bought a whole meal. My grandpa would pull a folded up dollar bill out of his pocket and hand it to me. And I had arrived. I had a dollar Wow. Listen, you could buy 10 bottles of pop for a dollar. 10 cent pop. Now, you couldn't take it with you because the bottle cost two cents if you took it. So actually, it cost 12 cents for a bottle of pop if you wanted to walk around and carry it. So I stood there. 
I had the dime, but I didn't have the two cents, right? There's a reward that Moses was convinced of when he made his decision about how to act and react. Such a powerful thing. Now, the reason I spend a little time on this is because Moses leads forward through the children of Israel time, and the children of Israel time ended up having some kings, and in a little bit, we're going to go to Second Chronicles and talk about how the kings acted. So we're going to work our way historically through this and going, look at here, they're still choosing right because of the voice of trust. Notice in the next verse, what is the next verse, 27? By faith, Moses forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. His voice of trust put him in alignment to see the invisible. Now I know that many of you say, what's the point? You're saying, well, wait a minute, what are you talking about? When you come forward for prayer, when you are in your closet praying, when you're reading the living word of God, do you actually see God? Do you actually see Jesus or is he still invisible to you? Because my Jesus is still invisible to me. I've seen angels three times in my life, but I've never seen Jesus. I mean, not literally. You say, well, I did. Well, congratulations. You can teach next week. Tell us all about it. But I've seen three angels who told me what God was saying, which I found interesting. I wondered. I mean, what I really thought was, God must be really busy. He sent a flunky. (laughs) Well, what do you think? I had angels, three of them. They told me things that made perfect sense to me that I didn't understand. I'll explain that someday. He endured as seeing. He made it through the adversity. He made it through the affliction because he could see something. That's really our point here today. So notice, we need to kind of identify what trust is. Trust is literally a reliance or the resting of the mind. I like that. On the integrity and friendship of another. This morning, Larry Hilbert had swept or cleaned off the the snow around here with his grandsons. And because Tracy and I are on our way up to Fort Collins to help our kids, and it's the first of the month, I had to give him some things. Had a couple of envelopes. Hey, when, when the payroll gets here, do this. And we were talking back and forth. And I handed him a couple of envelopes. I have to trust his integrity and his friendship. That's what trust does. If you're not a friend of God, if you're some, some you know, stepchild who is hated by their spiritual father, you don't know how to trust. See, there's a friendship involved in this. And that's what Moses learned. And again, I'm telling you that story, and I just a little bit of the story, I could have expanded it. But we're going to move forward a couple of thousand years potentially, or hundreds of years at least, and we're going to move forward. We're going to see a king. And he's going to do something very similar to what Moses did. 
by faith. So it's the reliance or resting of the mind on the integrity and friendship of another. So trust, I can trust Larry, but I'm only going to trust God to the degree that I believe in his integrity. If God says something, integrity, Larry said he'll handle it. I won't be back here next week to find out that Larry didn't handle it. In fact, I told him, one of them put some stuff in the bank, and I said, hey, you know, put this in the bank, and I said, just throw it in the night deposit. He says, nope. He says, I'll go into the bank. He says, when I go into the bank, I can see that they actually did it. He'll, he'll walk in there. Why? Because he's a man of integrity. I didn't say to him, you know, well, I sure hope you get this done. I wouldn't have handed him the stuff if I wouldn't have understood the friendship and integrity issue. I trust him. And I'm not trying to elevate him, right? It's not the point. The point is that we have a relationship with our Father, and trust has to be based on our belief system and our understanding of the integrity of the Father. What he said, he meant. And what he said he would do, he has done. He is a God of integrity and he calls us friends. He chose us. We didn't choose him. Choose him. Conjugate your own verbs. You see what I'm talking about? And trust has a voice. Trust has a voice. Now, Larry didn't say to me, Pastor Glenn, you can trust me. I'll get this done. I didn't say to Larry, I trust you to get this. I didn't put any pressure on him. I didn't say, well, now there's been times, Larry, where you just haven't got things done. And, you know, so could you please, you know, work really hard. And then I didn't go behind his back and talk to Sharon to make sure Sharon elbows him on the appropriate day to get that done. And I don't plan on sending him a text on whatever day he's supposed to be doing this. Because his integrity and friendship produced a trust. See, so I'm not reminding God, God, you know, I'm here suffering. Here's the circumstance. This doesn't look good. And what will people think? The pastor of the church is having struggles. See, the integrity of the friendship, the integrity of God and the friendship I have with God enables me to trust him. Right? If you say, well, I don't know. And I, sometimes I just want to, you know, educate people with the Ezekiel 7-9 scripture. I am the Lord God that smiteth you. <laughs> you know, the slap. Quit telling God what he didn't do. That's not it. Just because you don't think he did it for you, you say, well, he didn't do that yet. Well, key word there, and even in your thing is yet. Well, God, I, I always love when people say, well, God doesn't do that. Well, your God doesn't do that. My God does that. Why does your God do that? Because he's my friend. See, if you have a subservient relationship with God as a boss, you're just expecting for him to correct you rather than love you. God's going to pour some stuff out on you and do some things because he's God. Amen. So voice, the trust has a voice. Look at this first quote, would you please? We need to take our resting mind and move its thoughts of trust through our heart and out our mouth. See, I've said these things out loud to you. I didn't say them out loud in front of Larry. I wasn't trying to prove a point that, oh, Larry can be trusted. But when you move things from your brain 
to a, a residential location in your heart, right? My heart believes those things. I then can bring them out of my mouth and I will say words of trust. I will say words of trust. You must let your resting mind. Here's what happens. Most of us in fear have a freak out mode. And that's what comes out of our mouth. Quickly, often, loudly. No, away we go. What I'm asking you to do is to make a choice before you're in the circumstance. Moses had a few years. You pick the age when he becomes of age to be responsible in the verse in Hebrews. You pick the age. 12, 13, 18, 25, 35, whatever you think it is. Throughout that time, he made a decision that when it became time for him to be responsible for his own actions, he said, I'm choosing this, I'm rejecting that. He said it inside. We don't have it anywhere else in the Bible other than by revelation in the book of faith, Hebrews 11. It's not anywhere else. We don't, we don't see these details anywhere else. Somebody had to tell us about it 3,500 years later. Oh, yeah. This is how Moses did it. And I know that's how Moses did it because he left an example that some of the kings, many of them tried to follow. And he had a voice of trust. Need to come out their mouth. Okay, are you ready? Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is all about the acts of the kings of Israel. Where did the kings of Israel come from? They came from the 12 tribes of Israel. Moses led the 12 tribes of Israel. Moses gave instruction to the 12 tribes of Israel. They all walked together, spent their 40 years wandering around together, had lots of times for educational opportunities. How else did they pass it along? Verse number one, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. There's going to be a fight. Jehoshaphat's in his house, castle, whatever he had, his king place. Look what verse two, here's where the problem begins. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you. Pay attention to the language. A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. They're all, uh, and they are in, this is a place, okay? So this is a few miles south and west of, of Jerusalem where he likely was. And so he said, basically it's 25 miles, give or take. He says, they're in this place, they're 25 miles from here and they're coming. This great multitude Notice the language. is coming against you. This is Jehoshaphat's opportunity to freak out. Because they're coming after me. Now let's think for just a second about the, about the structure of the day. How many of you recognize that there's a lot of layers that these people are going to have to go through before they get to Jehoshaphat? Like all the, the grunts, you know, all the, young, all the little people that are going to get killed before they actually get to the castle to kill him. But how did the people talk? The people didn't talk in trust. They talked in fear. He's coming after you. 
As the king goes, so goes everyone else, evidently. Listen, you may not be able to cope with reality unless you're willing to accept reality. There's a great multitude coming against Jehoshaphat and his people. You may not be able to cope with reality without accepting its existence. Well, I'm just telling you right now, Pastor, I'm never going to say that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible, the voice of trust says, calling those things that be not as though they are. It doesn't say calling those things that are as though they're not. Go look it up. Romans 4 and 17, you can look it up in your Bible. That's what it says. Calling those things that be not. Trust talks about the invisible. That's what Moses did. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. God's asking us to trust him in the midst of adverse circumstances, very difficult situations, as if we can see the invisible. If you have a problem... You might need to accept the fact that the problem is somewhat real rather than a figment of your imagination dreamt up in some... It's actually happening, people of God. And all of the stuff leading up to this that promised you that if you did this it would never happen, it still happened. You need to accept reality to cope with it. Now, you don't have to receive the worst of reality. You just have to accept the fact that that's real. Faith doesn't cause things to disappear just because you talk about them. Faith carries you through with an invisible power or an invisible person on your team. I love the story of Elisha and Gehazi. Remember that story? And and Elisha says to his, to his, his servant Gehazi, he says, there's more for us than against us. And Gehazi looks up and he says, well, that's not right. Look at all these people. And then Elisha says, open his eyes. And God opened his eyes and he saw the hills filled with the chariots and angels of God. He had to see something that was invisible. See, sometimes in our life, what's happening is so visible that we can't see the invisible. We accept the reality. Here's where we sit. Now, here's what we're going to talk about. This is what God is doing. This is how, that's what he did. Look at verse number three. Are you ready? Look at verse number three. Jehoshaphat feared. (laughs) Yeah. Why? Because the reality is about half of the known world at that time is coming to kill him. That's kind of a real thing. You say, well, yeah, that doesn't sound too good. Yeah. And then look what else. And here's your point. Trust always speaks the and. Trust always speaks the and. Leading into the questions you have for God in responding. So yeah, I'm scared. Yep, there's a whole bunch of people coming and their whole goal is to kill me. If they can kill me, they can just take everything else. He says, yep, feared. You You can turn that into whatever you need it to be. But that's his reality. But the and is the important thing. And he set himself. Look at it in verse number three. He set himself 
He set himself. He set himself. He came up with a fortitude that said, I'm going to seek the Lord. I love that. He set himself to seek the Lord. Now there's another and. I'm going to get to it in just a second. Don't read too far ahead here. But you need to understand that this and is really, really important. Because once the reality of the fear is there, saying it doesn't exist doesn't make it go away. See, our God didn't give us a spirit of fear or literally timidity. So here's the one hand, courageousness. He didn't give that to us. So when fear hits us, we can't say, oh, I'm not scared. You're a fool. You're scared. It's okay. Do the and. What do you want me to do? So many personal experiences that have happened this way to me where the options that we had presented to us was the and. Here's the bad report. And. Let's, by the way, the bad report's hard to hear, hard to receive. You wonder about it out loud. And set yourself to seek the Lord. Why? Because you got questions. Not why is it happening. What do you want me to do? See, when Moses went through this back in the book of Hebrews there, when it told us that he went through this, he went through this as a child leading up, taking information that caused him to separate himself from being called Pharaoh's daughter's son. He separated. He had the and. He made a choice. Look what else it says. Second and. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. <clears throat> now, I know that some of you are saying, that, see there, he did that to caught. Nope. Go back and read Isaiah 58. I don't have time to teach it to you today. We may someday teach it to you. But go read Isaiah 58 where it talks about what fasting does. Did you know that one of the things fasting does is remove the finger of accusation from you? If you'll fast, it'll be really hard for you to accuse God that he's not doing what his word says. See? And then it says, it'll spring forth. It'll come forth quickly. Go read Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 6, give or take. You'll find it. Skip down, if you would, to verse number 6. Let's look at a little bit about how, how this trust talked. It says in verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms and the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might? Notice that Jehoshaphat didn't say, O Lord God, do I need to remind you that 25 miles from here are people who want my death? Notice he didn't rehearse his circumstances. He didn't say, oh, you can't believe they're telling me this. He rehearsed what God had already done. Trust talks about what God has already done. Why? Because it's about his integrity and his friendship. If he's already done it and he's not a respecter of individuals, the Bible says he's not, then he will do those things and has done those things in our lives. Verse number six again, he says, Lord God, our fathers, you're not the God of heaven. You know, rule over all the kingdoms and nations in your hand. Is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Verse 7, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land? Talking about coming out of, 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 of uh, 
captivity uh, out of the uh, wilderness, out of the, the, into the promised land, out of the wandering of the wilderness into the promised land. He says he's doing this evidently because he was taught this somehow over the course of time as a, as a process of trust. God, you brought us through this. That story, and I don't know how far we are away from Moses and when this actually happened, but it took a little while for there to get kings and then somebody to write the story about what the, to chronicle what they all, all did. It took a little while for all this to happen. And they're still talking the same way. God, you brought us through the wilderness. You saved us from the Egyptians. Are you not our God, verse 7, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? Did you notice that? He gave it to Abraham, your friend, forever. See why I talk about the friendship issue here. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham is a dang long time ago. Father, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel. Israel has 12 children. So we're like four generations before we actually get to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we move forward from there to this point. And they're still blaming, for lack of a better way to talk about it, they're still saying you gave it to Abraham because of friendship. Do you see it? That's how trust talks. Trust talks about the friendship that we have through God. Not what we deserve. Well, I'm coming to church next week because I, and I'm going to stand. Listen, your God is your friend. He wants to give you things better and bigger and, 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 and more often than what you want. And most of the time, what we want is in the way of what he wants to give us. Amen. I've been in my life willing to settle with God meeting my needs when I know that he wants to do something more than that. Because I thought it's harder, it's more difficult if I have to believe for. What do you mean believe for? He wants to do that. You're working really hard pushing stuff away. Abraham, your friend forever. Verse 8, and they dwell in it, have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, now here's, look at this. We don't talk this way, but I would encourage you to contemplate this. He says, if disaster happens, do you see it? If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before you in this temple. Notice what they're doing. If this doesn't turn out right, we're going to be standing right here face to face with you because we were doing that before. We will stand before this temple in the presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear us and save. Notice what he said. He said, I'm coming to the church for help. I'm coming to the place where I meet with God for help. Do you see it? See, obedience to God doesn't save us from our cross. It actually brings us to the cross. Obedience doesn't save us from our cross. It brings us to our cross. Do you see it? So anyway, they have this meeting. Proclaim a fast. Everybody's praying. Everybody's seeking the Lord. 
And you can look at all of this stuff and, and you, you see that and, and there's, there's not a whole lot of conversation about what are we going to do about the people who want to kill us. The conversation goes something like this. God, you know our reality. What do you want us to do in response to it? What do you want us to do in response to this? And, and we've already taken a few things off the, off the plate. We know that he doesn't want us to freak out. We know that. Notice what he says in verse 15. So the Spirit of the Lord came on this Jehaziel guy, and, and he began to prophesy. In verse 15 he said, And he said, Listen all you of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. By the way, there's a significant risk in addressing the king in an unkingly way. This has to be God. Thus saith the Lord to you. Now pay attention, because what's about to happen here is the response to all the seeking that took place. When, when, when Jehoshaphat called a fast and, and he said, we're going to seek the Lord. And then the Lord sent a word through this Jehaziel guy. And he came and he said, okay, here's the deal. Thus saith the Lord. Pay attention, because this is where it doesn't make sense to us. See, sometimes what God does for us in the midst of trust actually removes our ability kind of humanly and intellectually to get our mind around it. Because what he's about to say is, I want you to go out, array yourself in battle, and I want you to stand still. That's a good way to get killed. Line up in a, in a line, holding your weapons, and oh, by the way, we're going to send the worshipers. Now, forgive me for what I'm about to say if you need to, but in this church... If we are being attacked, I'm not sending Miss Crystal. I'm not seven, sorry, I love you guys. I'm not sending Kevin and Lola. I'm not even sending Robert. I might send Drummer Boy. At least he's got a weapon. Take your sticks, man. I'm not taking the piano players. They can't carry their pianos. He's, I'm taking Chad. I'm taking Chad. Chad's my guy. Chad is regularly armed. Cool. Yeah, I'm taking him. The rest of you guys, sing a song. Welcome us back. But I'm taking Chad. It doesn't make any sense. Trust sometimes doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense to me. Thus saith the Lord, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Don't be discouraged about it. I'm telling you right now, the more he talks, the more discouraged I'm getting. I'm going, what? yeah, no, this doesn't make, come on, Chad. In fact, Chad, if you've got time, go get more guns. Right? I mean, I'm good with that. Bring lots of bullets. In fact, let's run home and get my gun. I got lots of bullets. I can't hit anything. But if you'll shoot first, I'll shoot with you. Because I... Trust him. Do not be afraid or dismayed because of the great multitude. What's he saying? He's saying you're going to get to see this multitude. When I stand you, when you get the rest of this, he says, and I tell you to go out there and stand and position yourself, you're going to position yourself in the, in the array of battle in front of these people who want to kill you. And then, oh, by the way, I'm going to send all the singers out, and they're going to sing and dance. And here's what we know happened. The, the, the bad people fell upon each other, and we watched it happen. Cool. Don't forget your gun. (laughs) 
For the battle is not yours, but God's. Okay. They reported to me that these countries and these kings were coming after me to kill me. And now Mr. Prophet is saying, it's not your battle, it's God's. And I want to say to him, but they didn't use your name to determine who they were going to kill. They're after me. He said, it's not your battle. Are you ready? The battle is not yours and control isn't really an issue if everything you need is provided by God. Control's not an issue. I mean, my control would be um, Chad and whoever else is he can think of that can shoot straight and shoot a lot. I'm taking them, right? That's my control. Now, did the king have bodyguards? Probably. Did he surround himself potentially with like spear chuckers and things like that? Yeah, probably. But what did the prophet say? Don't worry. Don't be afraid, dismayed. The battle's not even yours. Tomorrow. See, when God does things like this, what I'd like him to say is, I'm going to give you a month or two to think about this. See if you can accept this from me. You know, like, like you know, a month from now. We're just going to take a break. Because I don't like confrontation. And so I'm not, I don't want to do this. And so what does the Spirit of God say? Hey, tomorrow. Sometimes when trust is your only option, he wants you to do it quickly. Not, well, let's see what else is available. Nope, do it right now. I'm going to trust. Tomorrow, go down against them. They'll surely come up. What? Wait, wait a minute. They're coming up. They're moving towards us by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them. Why does God have to tell us where they're going to be? Can't we make a mistake and turn the wrong direction and run away from them? He says, you're going to find him right over here. This either looks like God's wanting to get all of us killed or he's got a better plan. I would take option B. You will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerel. I don't know where that is. Now notice, you will not need to fight. <laughs> you got to process this, people of God, because the knee-jerk reaction is to jump into the battle. The knee-jerk reaction is, I need to do something. But the voice of trust, when you hear it, says, this is what God has already done. I'm going to position myself, I'm going to ask of Him, I'm going to get His thing, and we're going to run with that. Notice he says in verse 17, you'll not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself. Literally, this means to take a stand by position or location. It's a military word. He's saying, listen, line up the way you would for battle, but it's not your fight. He says, stand still. This is a great word. It means hold back from doing something. Hold back from doing. What do we want to do? We want to do something. Come on, have you ever been in a circumstance where you wanted to do something? You're sure, we need to do something. Have you ever been in a place where you needed to say something? 
Notice none of this addresses what they're supposed to say yet. It's telling them what they shouldn't do. Stand still. Remain motionless. Hold back from doing. And here's the and. And see the salvation of the Lord. See the total, complete deliverance that God has planned for you. Do you see it? The word there for see means to see outside yourself. To see outside yourself. When you trust, you're going to have to take the opportunity to see outside of yourself. Because sometimes when you've had some experiences and you know how things go, you can actually see what the bad things were that were supposed to happen to you. And you end up living with your faith in the bad things rather than to see outside yourself looking for the complete and total deliverance of God, the salvation of God. Do you see it? Does that make sense? You say, well, why are you telling? Because our control... Our desire for control says we need to do this. We need to pray this way. We need to confess these scriptures. None of those things are bad. I'm not saying that. I am saying that your doing doesn't cause things to happen. You cannot create the results of God by doing. God's results have already been created by Him. The Bible says in past tense, by His stripes, Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Healing happened 2,000 years ago. You were. The chastisement of his peace was a... The discipline was upon him for your peace. It happened 2,000 years ago. You can't create peace by doing the right things. You only receive what God has already provided for you. If we get this in our church... We will stand prepared to receive and whatever comes against you as an individual, you as a family, all you'll say is, I have an intimate relationship, literally a friendship with a man of integrity and his name is Jesus. And he will have. You'll see him. You'll see him holding what you want. You say, wow, really? I don't have to go beg him for it? I don't think you have to beg him for it. I think the days of being a beggar are over. I think we need to see the salvation of the Lord. That's what trust does. That's what trust does. And then it says, tomorrow. Okay, now wait a minute. Tomorrow you go down there, do these things. And then tomorrow, the next, they stood for a whole day. Do you see it? I want to tell you right now, if I have to stand still for a whole day, hoping that God's going to do something maybe tomorrow, we're already past my patience level. How many of you have a patience level? Does it happen before the day's over? Is your patience level kind of like a bag of microwave popcorn? Two minutes and it's ready. Hot and steamy, full of butter. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. That's my patience. I have popcorn patience. He says in verse 16, 17, towards the tail end, 
He says, See the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now you say, well, maybe that's the same tomorrow. Okay, might be. I'll, I'll give you that. I don't know. I just find it fascinating that he didn't tell us to do anything. Stand still. He told us to stand still and see. He didn't even say, see what you can see. He said, see the salvation of the Lord. Do you see it? Things turn out for the best. For those who make the best out of the way things turn out. See, my plan as Jehoshaphat the king was to run down there 25 miles with all my guys like Chad and kill all those people. God's plan was to stand still, send the singers. <laughs> I, still, I still get tickled. Sorry, singers. I just get tickled, you know. I mean, I, I, can, I, can, I can see already that most of you are going to unhook your microphone and try and hit people with it. It's the only weapon you got. Unless, of course, you're a New Testament Christian and the sword of the Spirit is your mouth. And then all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, that's better. We're just going to take this praise down there and do the damage that God has. You see it? That's how trust talks. See, things turn out for the best, for those who make the best of the way things turned out. This would not have been my plan. What we've gone through as people wouldn't have been my plan. No one signs up. But man, things turn out for the best. I would not give up what I've learned through some really bad situations. It's really turned out for the best. That's how trust talks. I know God. I'm Paul. I know, God, this will turn out for my deliverance. I know. I know. What a great day it is when we can stand and declare what we know from God. Because He's a God of integrity and He's our friend. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, would you please? Come on, music team. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this day, for this time. Thank you, Lord, that we can find our way into the battle that you told us wasn't ours. The battle over healing, not ours. The battle over finances, not ours. The battle over righteousness in the people that we love, not ours. Stand still, see the salvation, see the total deliverance. Yes, Lord. We've heard your voice. We are people who talk trust. We know. We know. This will turn out for our deliverance. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.